Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. This is Sirius XM Progress. I'm John Fugelsang, coming at you live, coast to coast, and interactive. Chris Hauselt's our executive producer, running this thing from South Carolina. Miss Thea Harper is on vacation all week. We are very happy Owen is helping us out. If you call and get to talk to Owen, I encourage you to be as polite as possible. The man's working hard. And I hope you guys had an excellent weekend. We have a terrific show tonight and all week long. This is the first Congress of the rest of your two years. Um, tonight, Dr. Tracy Pearson returns to the show. Our uh, favorite legal analyst and consultant, she uh, is going to be here to talk about Kevin McCarthy's very bad week and Kevin McCarthy's very bad next two years. I'm so thrilled Steve Silberman is back. He's an award-winning science writer who's done our show a few times in the past. Um, you've read his stuff in the New York Times and, and The Wired. Uh, he's the author of the New York Times bestseller Neurotribes, The Legacy of Autism and the Future of Neurodiversity. And um, his new book is all about dementia and cystic fibrosis. And I look forward to talking with him about a lot of things, political and scientific. We have a lot to get through uh, with this Congress and a lot to make sense of. And we love to hear from you guys we are bringing good trouble to the right-wing bubble at 866-997-4748. I hope you had a good weekend. God bless Adam Rich. And uh, let's get to it, shall we? Let's do a show. So let's begin with this. What's the difference between Congress and prison? You give up? Uh, Matt Gates still has friends in prison. That's the difference. We were broadcasting live on Friday night thinking they would pack this thing in, but they didn't. Did you guys stay up after the show ended? I was up till 2 a.m. watching it. I, I hate to admit it. It was all very exciting and very historic. For eight terms, Kevin McCarthy waited and groveled and tried to write the plan to help him seize power over the House of Representatives. And remember, when Donald Trump wanted to overturn the results of the 2020 election after January 6th, McCarthy, who once said he thought Trump was being paid by Russia, after January 6th, he said he wanted him to resign. Remember, I've had it with this guy. By January 28th, however, of that year, he was down at Mar-a-Lago to grovel again. And the groveling paid off. A speaker's election has not gone on for this many ballots since 1859. And we had a long wait on Friday night until the inevitable you probably saw Kevin McCarthy angrily confronting Matt Gates, king of the holdout douchebags in full view of the C-SPAN cameras. By the way, can we stop calling Gates and those guys the Freedom Caucus? Let's call them the Nazi clot. That's that's where they are. You may have seen uh, Congressman uh, who had to grab Congressman Mike Rogers 
of Alabama around the throat to keep him from lunging at Gates as the cameras panned away quickly. It was a lot of drama. And after enough of the holdouts finally agreed to end the four day debacle on the 15th ballot, turns out who knew Matt Gates likes things once they turn 15. And McCarthy prevailed. He got his 216 votes with all of the six holdouts voting present. But not a single Republican vote was cast against him. And Kevin McCarthy is now Speaker of the 118th Congress. Who would want this job? This sad sack who can't control his own caucus. So congratulations, Kevin McCarthy. You finally convinced Matt Gates to, well, he still didn't vote for you, did he? But I'm excited now because Speaker McCarthy can finally reveal the official Republican Party plans for inflation and immigration and crime and explain how they all involve Hunter Biden's laptop. Now, um, it was quite an amazing evening. Hakeem Jeffries gave a speech that will be debated for a very long time. I'm dying to know what you thought. You know, on, on the one hand, um, it was stirring and wonderful, and he was drawing a, con, a real sharp contrast. And he was taking his own victory lap. I mean, Hakeem Jeffries technically won the vote the first 14 times. And he gave a speech that was very long, very alphabetical, very big energy. But I thought it was nice that he, you know, took some time to make sure Kevin McCarthy got humiliated one more time before the weekend. And then when Jeffries finally handed the wooden gavel over to the new speaker, I don't know if you saw it. He started off well. He had a pretty good wisecrack, I thought. He said, by the way, Hakeem, two years ago, I had the full support of my caucus. That was as good as it got. McCarthy said, that was easy, huh? I never thought we'd get up here. Dude, dude, who, who, who taught this guy to lead? This guy, this, this supplicant is now going to need to cobble together a functioning body that is willing to govern from a bunch of people who have no interest in governing, from a bunch of people who don't want a speaker to govern. They, 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 they want a speaker to do the opposite. They want a speaker who will refuse to pass any bill that doesn't have full Republican support, even though the Democrats still control the Senate. So no bill this House passes can actually become law without Democratic support. And they like that just fine. They don't want a record of achievement and legislation to run on. They want a big pile of grievances. And boy, did they get them? They were mad at Hakeem Jeffries. Whoo! People were furious. Did you see the speech? Did you watch? Were you up till two in the morning like me? My wife came down to the basement at one point and she couldn't believe it. I mean, Hakeem Jeffries gave this great speech and they were all booing him and saying, get on with it, get on with it, get on with it. You know, can I just say something to these Republicans? I, I, I love it when the people who made us wait four days and 15 ballots are complaining that the black guy's taking up too much time. Hakeem Jeffries overall gave a dynamite speech. And on Meet the Press, they asked him about his budding relationship with Kevin McCarthy. He did not have a great relationship with Kevin McCarthy. What's yours? Well, Kevin McCarthy uh, and I have had some positive forward-looking conversations uh, over the last few weeks. Uh, and I'm hopeful uh, that we'll be able to build upon those conversations to do the right thing for the American people. Clearly, we are going to have strong disagreements at times, uh, but we can agree to disagree without being disagreeable. Whatever that means. Look, what did you think? I, I got the vibe that Kevin McCarthy has waited his entire life for this speech that he couldn't bother to memorize, but he's been waiting his whole life for it. And then Hakeem Jeffries just shows up with no notes 
and just rock stars it. I mean, he rock starred it the other night. I, I thought he was a little mean. I thought he could have shaved a, a few seconds off the speech. But overall, it was really strong. And it was there for a very political and very moral reason to draw a sharp contrast in how these two bodies are going to run the next two years. And so to all of you right wingers complaining that Hakeem Jeffries went on too long. Dude, that's what a nonviolent transfer of power looks like. I know. Republicans aren't fans. And then McCarthy gave this speech. Uh, it wasn't especially inspiring. I did love the part where he talked about respecting law enforcement because he said it in the U.S. Capitol on the January 6th anniversary. Folks, every time a Republican talks about respecting law enforcement on January 6th, an angel coughs up blood. <laughs> but what's going to happen? I mean, what do we have to look forward to? Kevin McCarthy got over this humiliation. Now he's speaker. And he can have nonstop humiliation for the next two years. But they're not going to just be all clowns. I mean, what is it exactly they're going to try to do? Well, we got a good sense of that today. The new House Rules Package. And let me tell you, it's, it's, it's not a very impressive package. Um, <laughs> let's talk about it. It governs the Office of Congressional Ethics, the OCE. And this whole thing, this rules package was drafted by the incoming Republican majority. And it'll, 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 you know, it's, it's passed already. It makes a couple big changes to the Office of Congressional Ethics. We'll start with that one. Now, the OCE has the power to go back and examine possible campaign laws that were broken, violations of federal election law. If they find out during any successful congressional election campaigns that there was some fraud, I don't know, maybe a, 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 a gay Brazilian Jewish Catholic guy from Long Island, well, then they can go and investigate. The Democrats created the OCE back in 2008 to be an independent office that could investigate ethics violations among House members. That's what it does. They can only conduct these preliminary investigations and make recommendations to the House Ethics Committee. They have no real power. They can just investigate and then say, hey, House Ethics Committee, here's our evidence. This congressman broke this law. It's up to you to investigate or enact punishment. And that is what they're coming to gut. It's not going to help them long run. But Republicans are all about the incrementalism, right? They're going to make it harder for you to vote a little bit here, a little bit there. They're going to make it harder for themselves to be investigated a little bit here, a little bit there. And Republicans who don't like independent scrutiny on how they got their office, they've been trying to get rid of this for a while. Here's Steve Scalise, who could have become the speaker. I wouldn't have been surprised to be had. Here he is with a peek into the new rules package. The new GOP House is about to cram down our throats. There are some committees that haven't had an in-person hearing for two years. We end that practice in this rules package where committees actually have to get to work again, not only meeting in person, but in some cases going out into the field, going into the real world. Places like the border, between the United States and Mexico, where, yes, despite the president's claim, there is a crisis at the border. And we've been talking about it for a long time. We've been trying to bring legislation, but that legislation has been rejected by a top-down structure. This rules package changed that so where we can finally start bringing bills to the floor to address things like the border crisis to finally start addressing inflation and runaway spending. If a member of Congress has an idea and they want to bring an amendment to the floor, for so long they were shut out of that ability. No, no, they weren't. Uh, by the way, you know, we're hearing this open border bullshit all the time now. Oh, let me quote the only open border president of my lifetime who said we should 
make it possible for them to come here legally with a work permit. And then while they're working and earning here, they pay taxes here. And when they want to go back, they can go back and cross and open the border both ways. No, not Joe Biden, not Barack Obama, not Jimmy Carter. That was Ronald Reagan, the most and only open border president of our lifetimes. They're going to talk about the border a lot. And it's all bullshit, folks. You know, any politician talking about illegal immigration, if they don't want to lock up the white people doing the hiring, they are manipulating you and lying to you. We have undocumented immigrants here because we have white people dangling jobs. I'm going to keep on saying it, folks. And again, they will never do anything to get rid of the undocumented immigrants who are here. It's all lies. They can't. Our economy would collapse. It would cost $45 for a salad, which might not upset a lot of Trump voters because I don't think some of them eat too much in that kind of salad genre. But in any case, they're going to keep on talking about the border. You know, there's 50,000 Irish undocumented immigrants in this country. Will you ever hear about them? The majority of undocumented immigrants are people who overstayed their visas, not people who crossed the border. You won't hear about them either. It's all about scaring you with the brown people to get the votes and then doing nothing. Now, McCarthy gave in on a lot of new rules, and they've now with the new rules agreement, it calls for the establishment of three new investigative subcommittees. Okay, in other words, Benghazi one, Benghazi two, Benghazi three. The first one is going to be all about the pandemic. It's going to go all investigate Anthony Fauci, raise money off Fauci, get money off the mouth breathers over Fauci. Donald Trump fucking lied to every one of these people. Donald Trump lied to every Republican and every Republican that they love when he said it was safe to go into the churches on Easter Sunday of 2020. They don't care about lies about COVID. They want to scalp. So they go after Fauci and it's going to lead to nothing. Right. You know that they're just going to get fundraising and votes. It's going to be on Fox News every night. Nothing's going to happen. Then they, they want to have a committee to examine the strategic competition between the United States and the Chinese Communist Party. Ooh, maybe they'll look into Donald Trump's Chinese bank account while he was president. And then the third committee will address the weaponization of the federal government, more or less their their deep state committee. Right. They say the deep state's going after ordinary Americans. Uh, Ian Sam's is a White House spokesperson on investigations. And he said this rules package shows they care more about investigating Democrats than actually governing, which we know. He said House Republicans continue to make clear that they're focused on pointless political stunts instead of working with Biden or congressional Dems to take on the issues Americans care about, like tackling inflation. But that's the Republican problem. If they work with Democrats, they're going to get primaried and voted out of office. They can't work with the other side to help American people. That's weakness. So they're going to get you angry, white people. They're going to get you angry and mad, and they're not going to do nothing. Here's uh, Congressman Jim McGovern, Democrat from Massachusetts, with uh, a rather different interpretation of the new rules package. What's become crystal clear over the past few days is the extent to which the Republican Party has been hijacked by an extremist MAGA faction, a faction not interested in governing, but in their own egos. A faction not interested in compromise, but in their own power. A faction not interested in putting people over politics, but instead interested in putting their own political ambition over the people we serve. Now here we are, nearly a week later, considering their deeply flawed rules package. The first legislation on the floor by this new majority, and they are using it to gut the Office of Congressional Ethics. 
attack women's access to abortion, make it easier for big oil companies to pollute, and interfere in ongoing criminal investigations into President Trump. They're making it easier for billionaires to, uh, and big corporations to avoid paying their taxes. Is that part of their contract with America? Is that their big plan to help everyday people? Because most people who read this package would think it must be a joke. They're going to keep on running hard to the right to win their primaries, and it's going to hurt them in elections, in general elections with independent voters. Same shit, different day, right? But here's the really evil part, because under the proposed rules agreement, the new subcommittee, the deep state subcommittee, is going to have the authority to examine how executive branch agencies collect, compile, analyze, use, or disseminate information about citizens of the U.S., including any unconstitutional, illegal, or unethical activities committed against citizens of the United States. Sounds innocent enough, right? But this new reference, this this line I just quoted, was added to the rules during the last-minute negotiations between McCarthy and the Nazi Klot Caucus. And the agreement also states explicitly that this authority would extend to ongoing criminal investigations. You get where I'm going with this? They're going to take away the ability of Congress to investigate government officials. What a great way to wrap up the January 6th hearings. And this new subcommittee, guess who is probably going to be the chair of it? Champion of transparency, Jim Jordan, the right-wing Ohio representative who's been implicated in the sexual assault of students at Ohio State. David Jolly said, um, this committee is like legitimizing the January 6th insurrection. But guys, guys, this is why Trump supported McCarthy. This is it in black and white. The authority will extend to ongoing criminal investigations and will look into any unconstitutional, legal, or unethical activities committed against citizens of the United States, like a hoax investigation of blah, 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 blah. The new House rules, they're going to go after Social Security and Medicare. They're going to gut the Office of Congressional Ethics. They're going to pawn off public lands, which will just be hurting taxpayers and hurting outdoor recreation, hurting our environment. They're going to go after the staff unions on Capitol Hill, of course. Again, they're going to enable the GOP to defund any criminal investigations into Donald Trump. (laughs) And this won't help any of them if they wind up getting indicted which probably won't happen. What we're going to get from this new Congress is nothing. You're going to get more Republican Party performance art. They're going to pass nothing legislation that has no chance of being passed by the Democratic-controlled Senate. And they're going to have hearings for Fox News every night. They're going to be programming the stories your Uncle Racist and Aunt Dead Inside will be seeing on Newsmax and Fox News every evening. Get ready for a whole lot of Hunter Biden content. Also, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Remember way back 11 months ago? I'm sorry, no, two years ago now, February of 2021, we had 11 House Republicans that voted with the Democrats to strip Marjorie Taylor Greene of her committee assignments. Kevin McCarthy didn't join them, but he unequivocally condemned her comments, like endorsing political violence against Democrats, and she suggested that some school shootings had been staged. Well, here on Fox News, uh, Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene wants you to know there were hundreds of House Republicans who voted against certifying the elections. And that position is an essential demand of their base. 
When things got heated, you said this about Congressman Chip Roy of Texas. He refused to object on January 6th. That's not what our base wanted. So a lot of the people who were backing Kevin McCarthy uh, also didn't vote to certify the Electoral College results for Joe Biden. Um, do you think that's an important thing to the base even today? Oh, it's very important. Well, what I was pointing out is the same people that conservatives were holding up in high esteem don't necessarily have those voting records while they're at the same time criticizing Kevin McCarthy, who does. Right. Kevin McCarthy did object on January 6th, and he's been a top target of the Democrats and the January so 6th committee. So do you believe that Joe Biden is a legitimately elected president? Of course Joe Biden's the president. That's always a silly question. Okay, well, I'm trying to be silly. I was trying elected. to just clarify. He, but she didn't clarify. She didn't. Did you notice the dodge? Look, that lady came out last month and said the January 6th terrorist attack on our Capitol would have succeeded if she and Steve Bannon had been in charge of it. Now, she's going to get new committee assignments in spite of endorsing the terrorism. And that's a good thing. I'm sorry it is. I, I say go ahead. Make Marjorie Taylor Greene so famous and let Kevin McCarthy own her every hour of his miserable speakership. Now, Trump was going crazy on Truth Social today. Uh, he posted, Republicans can get almost everything back that old broken crow Mitch McConnell and the real leader, China-centric Coco Chow, it's Mitch McConnell's wife, who's Asian, who was a member of Donald Trump's cabinet, and he keeps calling her this racist nickname, Coco Chow, stupidly gave up to the Democrats over the last two years by simply playing tough in the upcoming debt ceiling negotiations. Donald Trump is calling for the Republican Party to play tough in the debt ceiling. And that's already scaring Wall Street because we need to raise the debt ceiling to prevent the U.S. defaulting on our debt. And it's going to become a lot more important by the summer. And you're going to see more and more of the Nazi clot caucus like Ralph Norman of South Carolina in the Freedom Caucus demanding McCarthy shut down the government rather than raise the debt ceiling. Congressman Norman calls that a non-negotiable item. So McCarthy's going to be humiliated because he knows what will happen with the donors if he does shut it down. He knows what will happen with his caucus if he doesn't. Guys, enjoy. Keep your popcorn handy. It's going to be ugly. It's going to be scary. But they're going to try and shut down our government. Remember, remember 2011, the debt ceiling crisis and the House defied Obama and it was long? Well, <laughs> get ready. I mean, maybe it'll happen and maybe there'll be a financial crash. Maybe it'll hurt the voters' 401k plans, or maybe the Freedom Caucus will buckle. But they're going to be holding a gun to our heads. It's going to be scary. And then we'll also see if what happens with the Pentagon budget. Because some of the younger ones in the Nazi Caucus want to cut $75 billion out of defense spending. And that is going to infuriate a lot of the establishment Republicans. Tony Gonzalez, Navy veteran, he called the potential defense cuts earlier a horrible idea. He promised that he would vote against the House Rules Package. And a lot of hawks feel the same way. But they had the vote, and it passed. Friends, this evening, the House passed the rules package that has all these concessions to far-right nutjobs, including the ability for one House member to bring up a vote to oust the Speaker. Can you imagine, like, if you got married to someone and you just offered them a prenup where they got everything and could kick you out? That's what they did. And sure enough, there was one Republican, Congressman Tony Gonzalez, who joined all the Democrats in voting against it. Friends, they're starting off by gutting the Office of Congressional Ethics in the rules package. And now, well, this is the House that had many members issued congressional subpoenas by January 6th. Kevin McCarthy was given a congressional subpoena. They ignored them. 
They refused to testify under oath before the January 6th committee. This is the Republican Party that made a mockery of congressional rules. This is the Republican Party that made a mockery of congressional ethics. This is the Republican Party that has no plans to fight inflation and lower prices. All they're offering is umbrage, umbrage, and scapegoating. Get ready for a lot of both. We want to know what you guys think. We're at 866-997-4748. Quick break. When we come back, your calls and the return of the great Steve Silberman. This is SiriusXM. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. This is Sirius XM Progress. I'm John Fugel saying welcome to the love fest that is Tell Me Everything, bringing good trouble to the right wing bubble. Our number is 866-997-4748. I'm so excited to welcome Steve Silberman back on our show. I'm always thrilled anytime we can coerce this gentleman into joining us. He's an award-winning science writer. His articles have been in the New York Times and Wired, the New Yorker. He's the producer who made the Grateful Dead box set So Many Roads so great. Uh, his New York Times best-selling book, Neurotribes, The Legacy of Autism and the Future of Neurodiversity, is uh, amazing, and it totally will change the way you think of and understand autism. And he's hard at work on his next book, The Taste of Salt, which will hopefully do the same for our understanding of cystic fibrosis. Happy New Year, and welcome back, Mr. Steve Silberman. Hi, John. It's so great to uh, to hear you and to be here. I'm really it's honored. So great Thank to- you. Thank you, sir. Happy New Year. I, I have to begin with the obvious of, of asking what your take was on the uh, extended Shakespearean tragedy that we've sat through for the last week that I now suspect is only just beginning of Kevin McCarthy. Well, uh, that tragedy was very personal because, as we all know, ultimately what they're going to go after is Medicare and Social Security. That's and right. I just turned 65 a couple weeks ago, so I'll be <laughs> signing up for Medicare this week. And I hope wow. it's still there when I need it. I, I think it will be. I mean, it seems like this is something that they do every generation to try to rile up the donors. I mean, you know, yeah. Bush sure wanted to do it. That was Bush's great failure that he couldn't privatize Social Security and Medicare. I, I, I got to say, Steve, as scary as it is, and as much as I know they all really want to do it, it's hard to imagine the president who would sign any legislation overturning these incredibly popular programs, isn't it? That's a good point. Um, But I do think that they're going to use it uh, as leverage to cut many different social programs. Um, And what's really scary about this historical moment is that the motivations of these people have become so abstract that they barely have any meaning or reality in the in, in the real world. And so you don't even have to be, oh, I'm against that. It's like what you're against is fictitious. 
And way back in 1946, George Orwell uh, wrote a, a very prescient essay called Politics and the English Language, which was really prescient about where the Republican Party is right now. He wrote, the writer either has a meaning and cannot express it, or he inadvertently says something else, or he is almost indifferent as to whether or not his words mean anything or not. This mixture of vagueness and sheer incompetence is the most marked characteristic of modern English prose and especially of any kind of political writing. So now, you know, where we're at is that words like woke and, you know, critical race theory, uh, they really are not traceable to, to anything in the world except for things that the people who throw those words around don't want to think about, like racism or systemic racism. So it's a bunch of people furious about imaginary things while that's ignoring it. real things. And that's really scary. Yeah, it's scary because sometimes that's enough. I mean, we just witnessed exactly a TV reality show clown who launched a campaign for president that proved successful that he, he he grounded it. He launched it based on a racist smear that the first African-American president wasn't really one of us. And so we've seen, you know, I mean, this is the land of WMDs. I mean, we've seen lies from the right wing that take root. And it's one thing when it's just in the bubble and we can all make fun of it. But some of these things get bigger. But I, I got to agree with you. I mean, wokeness and critical race theory are two great examples. Um, also, I would say the words communism and socialism, which yeah, very much so. seem to know those words. And, and they cannot point to a single case where anyone's saying, well, the, the people should control the means of production. It's just it's just things that work in the bubble. It's Hillary's emails. It's the Ground Zero mosque. It's Hunter Biden's laptop. It's the island of misfit smears. Isn't it, Steve? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I really do think that Fox News is tremendously responsible for the the waking dream that, you know, a third of this country at least is staggering around in. And now we have, you know, a third of Republicans are OK with violence to save America. That would have been mm -hmm. incomprehensible, you know, uh, several years ago. And, you know, even, you know, I dare say my my family, my in-laws, you know, we've had really bad communication problems uh, in the last several years because of politics. We used to all get along great. They used to come out to our uh, apartment for Thanksgiving. They went they celebrated our marriage. I'm married to a science teacher named Keith Carriker. Right. And um, but we have barely been able to talk to them, not because we disagree about our various opinions, but because we disagree about what is real. And so, yeah. you, you know, Keith's brother got COVID uh, uh, last week and, you know, his he talked Keith talked to his dad and his dad said, well, you know, I've been hearing that people who got the vaccine, you know, are much worse off. No, you know, the only place that things like that are said are on Fox News. I can't even really I don't have respect for them anymore, sadly. That's right. right. I'm not saying that easily. It's awful. No, I get it. And I'm sure you do yeah, have yeah. respect for them. I'm sure they're good at their jobs. I'm sure that, you know, right. I mean, you, you, you respect their abilities. But I completely understand when you're dealing with loved ones who have embraced the bubble. I mean, when we deal with people who are now beyond reason. You know, progressives yeah. used to be out there fighting for, for immigrant rights or, or women and children or labor, LGBT, marginalized groups. Now we're fighting over two plus two is four and and the, the sky is blue. I, I think, right. that, you know, 
the whole case of critical race theory is a great example of that. I mean, right. they keep trying to find new ways to how are we going to have a scapegoat that's acceptable, right? For a long time, right. you know, they, they can't be against the gay people. They can't really be against uh, Muslims. That, that's not fresh this year. Uh, it seems like it's whatever we can do to stigmatize trans children or all gay people. Right. That's what Don't Say Gay and Ron DeSantis' movement is about. And right. then critical race theory, which is a great way to let white majority act like they're being oppressed by something that doesn't actually exist. Right. And John, it's even worse that they, you know, that they, than that they feel they can't be against gay people because they've pulled off a really interesting linguistic magic trick with the concept of gayness. What determines that someone is gay? Well, they're attracted to people of the same sex, sex. See, it's about sex. And so if you have a children's book, that has nothing to do with sex. In fact, this is an actual case. If you have a children's book about two penguins that fall in love, it gets banned in Florida because if it has gayness in it, it must be about sex. And so it's not you know, appropriate to teach children exactly. about it. Meanwhile, that's what causes uh, young gay people to be so miserable is that they don't see any reflections of themselves in the culture and they can't even talk about it and they can't go to their teacher if their parents are homophobes now because their teacher will get fired if they talk about it so they're they're trying you know talk about a bubble it's like they're trying to put us all into this hermetically sealed coffin of complete bullshit uh, where people are staggering around with these delusions of what's going on when it's not but cruelty to marginalized groups is how you make revoltingly false Christians believe you have strength. And we're seeing yes. this not just not just in politics, but I mean, this is this is Twitter, too. I mean, it, it's oh, just God. the broification of, of everything. And this whole notion of just these men in power who realize that the mouth breathing guys are their ticket. And so whatever it takes to get them enraged will be what makes them loyal to you. I mean, the, the parallels between Trumpism and what Elon Musk is doing, by the way, he just became the first human in history to lose $200 billion. So congratulations. Yeah. Um, Steve, yeah. thank you for not quitting Twitter yet. What's your take of what we're witnessing over there? Well, it's turning into a toilet. I mean, what's, what's funny is that, you know, I what's happening in the last just in the last couple of days is that when I'm on Twitter, I, I made a tweet the other day that when I'm on Twitter now, it's like being with, you know, making love with some abusive ex that you long ago figured out was ruining your life. But, you know, you're going to do it one more time or something. That's how I feel every time I log on to Twitter, whereas the subtle thing has been happening for me on Mastodon. Yes, Mastodon is annoying in some ways. It's more yeah. complicated. You have to choose an instance or whatever. That yeah, I don't get, I still don't understand that. I have my instance and I don't know what it is, but go on. I, I know what you mean. I'm, I'm already following you there. But um, <laughs> the thing is that I do not feel that I'm going to get bombarded with fascist propaganda and bullshit. And, right. you know, let me point, since I'm an autism historian, let me point out something funny about Elon Musk. Please he claims do. to be autistic. That's cool. I get it. I believe in self-diagnosis. It's very important, particularly when autistic people uh, in different socioeconomic groups do not have equal access to diagnosis. Self-diagnosis is cool. But one thing I've noticed about Elon Musk is that most autistic people that I know who are my friends, and I you know, have hundreds of autistic friends by now, really, um, 
have a keen interest in honesty and social justice. Elon bullshits like mad. He's one of the most easy liars I've ever seen. And um, that's that's kind of weird, you know, and, uh, you know, we all know about Greta Thunberg. To me, she is more like the autistic people that I know than Elon Musk is. I think Elon has billionaire itis. You know, he may also have autism, but uh, it certainly hasn't done anything for his um, honesty and commitment to justice. I I agree. Um, And he's also someone I don't know a lot of autistic people who are obsessed with other with what other people think of them. Uh, so I, I gotta be honest, Steve, I didn't know that Elon had self-diagnosed he was Spectrum. I just have been hearing people boast about it to say that's what makes him special. Right. I know. Well, you know, we're all seeing how much is of a savant he isn't. I mean, the people that he, you can tell a lot about a person by who they talk to and who they really engage with and who they banter with, who they seem to have fun talking to. Who's he talking to? The worst Nazis on Twitter. The the most egregious liars on Twitter. He certainly, you know, many autistic people that I know are absolutely enraged by hypocrisy. That's right. Elon is a huge hypocrite. So anyway. Mr. Silberman, I'd be most remiss if I didn't ask you about the new book you're working on, because, you know, Neurotribes is a book that meant a lot to me uh, as someone with autism very close to him. And um, I'm really curious about The Taste of Salt. Thanks. Um, what the seed of the taste of salt was discovering that one of my best friends who always seemed incredibly athletic and healthy and fun. And I love him. Um, I discovered, um, a couple of years into our friendship, actually, that he had this disease called cystic fibrosis and that he was told when he was young that he was going to probably die as a teenager. And a whole generation of people with cystic fibrosis were told that they would have very short lives. But because of a number of things, there's uh, there are new drugs uh, called uh, modulators that are helping them live longer. But even before that, there were very progressive steps taken in terms of care um, that enabled a whole generation of uh, people with cystic fibrosis to live into middle age, to mm-hmm. suddenly have to face existential questions like, oh, my God, I, you know, I have to uh, head into retirement or what am I going to do? Like, I want to start a family and they can do it. So they're facing all these really essential existential questions about life that they never expected that they would. Oh, when, when is the book going to be coming out, Steve? Probably a couple of years. Oh, okay. Well, then I'll be checking. Yeah. I'll be checking in with you because cool. we, we were talking before. And and if you don't mind getting personal, um, I appreciate yeah. your takes on these things as a as a science writer and as a a man with tremendous humanity. I know that you are in a uh, you are right now in a very unfortunate and sad club. Uh, it's a club that I lived in for many years, and that is um, caring for a mother who has dementia. And I admire how much you've you've talked about it. And um, I'm just curious to know how things are going and what your experience has been like. Well, you know, I'll tell you, the existence of dementia and its concurrent knowledge of how badly our society is set up to take care of elderly people uh, were big surprises to me. And my mother uh, taught me how to read. Uh, She taught me how to write. Uh, She was very uh, articulate. 
Uh, she was a teacher, as was my late father. And so my mother has always uh, given me the gift of words. And now often when we talk, she cannot find the words. Sometimes she cannot find any words. And uh, But I talk to her several times a day as best I can. Unfortunately, she has to live in sort of a group home, a board and yeah. care home, uh, because we can't afford, you know, some luxurious assisted living facility. And uh, it's rough down there. They don't know who she is. You know, it, it, for the first few months, she hated it, which was horrible. She oh, hated man. it and was dealing with becoming, you know, unable to rely on her own mind. And so what's happened, though, is that she has adjusted to the place. I wouldn't say that it's the place she'd choose to live if she could live anywhere. But she's she's becoming herself even as she loses words. She's becoming some essence of herself. And so the other day I was talking to her and I said that she sounded a lot happier than she had a couple of hours before. And she said, well, well, you know, I'm living in a very unstable universe. I think we all are. <laughs> Her wit and, and brilliance still shine through in comments like that. The, you know, the things I learned the most from that that experience was you spend a lot of time telling caregivers, um, I wish you could have known my mom, you know, who she really was. And, yeah, and I know. Isn't well, it but true? This, but, but this is part of who she really is, too. Uh, but also, yeah. you, you really get a sense of how poorly this culture takes care of seniors and, of course, seniors oh, it's who a- are in rapid decline. It's it's scary AF, and that includes scared for my own future now, because I know how few choices people that don't have, you know, a a few billion dollars to lose have in terms of um, their elderly relatives. We need to do better. Yeah. Mr. Silberman, it is always a joy to talk to you. I I have to ask one thing before I let you go. Uh, uh, You know, our friend, Mr. David Crosby, (laughs) who I know you hang out with and he's a friend of this show. Uh, David announced he wasn't uh, going to tour anymore, and now he's saying he might go back on the road. I don't know. Do you have any any news on Dave? <laughs> yes. Um, in fact, I had a, an absolutely delightful uh, morning with David and Jan, his wife, uh, oh, the day after Thanksgiving. Um, the day after Thanksgiving, I got a call. Ah, it's David. I'm here in town. Let's go to breakfast. So <laughs> we went to breakfast, and he was actually in a great mood. And whether David has a future touring or not depends a lot on his mood. Of course, so I agree. When he's in a bad mood, he thinks it's hopeless. But when he's in a good mood, he thinks, oh, well, maybe I could go out with this great new band with Chris Stills, who happens to look exactly like Stephen in his prime, and mm-hmm. a bunch of other fantastic musicians that David's been playing for a while, and including a musician who can play David's parts, because uh-huh. David now has trouble with the fingering with the of the guitar. He is unstoppable. So I think if it's possible for him to do it, there will be no more live David Crosby in all of our futures. Wow. Let me ask you one last question, sir. What's your prediction for the next year for the Kevin McCarthy speakership of our Congress? Oh, God. Well, I was just listening to you give a better rundown than I ever could right before I came on here. What's sad is that we have so many truly profound crises to face and we're not going to be you're right we're going to be talking you know we're going to be talking about hunter biden's laptop and the deep state and all that and i i think the republicans have come up with sort of a magic formula 
that, hey, people don't want to think that they're responsible for things that are bad. So let's just give them excuses. They're like an excuse factory. So people don't Mm -hmm. have to challenge their own sense of their role in what's going wrong in the world. And so I'm afraid that what we're going to have is just a bunch of more excuses for white people to feel superior and aggrieved. And meanwhile, the white supremacists are always the ones who make me embarrassed to be Caucasian. Steve Silberman is the best-selling New York Times author of Neurotribes, The Legacy of Autism and the Future of Neurodiversity. It is so good to catch up with you, sir. Please come make sense of the world with us a lot this year. Will do. Thank you so much, Sean. I really appreciate it. Thank you. A happy new year to your whole family. Thank you, Steve. Quick break. When we come back, your calls at 866-997-4748. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. This is Sirius XM Progress. I'm John Fugelsang. We're at 866-997-4748. Want to get some of your calls. Dr. Tracy Pearson joins us shortly. We just got some news, however, that I want to share that you may have already heard. Um, and that is that Lynette Hardaway has passed away. Now, if you don't know her name, you might know her better as Diamond of Diamond and Silk. You know who doesn't know her name is Donald Trump. He put out a statement this evening on Truth Social, announcing to the world. I guess they they told him before anyone else knew. And he put out a statement, really bad news for Republicans and frankly all Americans. Our beautiful diamond of diamond and silk has just passed away at her home in the state she loves so much. North Carolina goes on, and rest in peace, our magnificent diamond, you will be greatly, never actually says her name. He didn't know it. Do you think he knew it? I didn't know it. I pay more attention to things than Trump does. It's especially sad Because Ms. Hardaway, who I never met, I never had the pleasure, they blocked me on Twitter, Um, Ms. Hardaway has died from COVID-19. Folks, please get vaccinated. Conservative people, please get vaccinated. Please. You know, Diamond and Silk were fired from their show on Fox. You know why? For promoting disinformation about COVID-19. Promoting disinformation is what polite people call lying about COVID-19. And so they got fired from Fox News because Diamond and Silk are held to a higher standard than, you know, uh, whoever was the president of the United States at that time. And it took a while uh, after they were fired, but, you know, they finally realized, wait a second, Tucker Carlson says the same stuff. All these other Fox hosts have the same vaccine denialism we have. Why do we get fired? And then finally, they figured it out and accused Fox of racism. (laughs) It's just, it's hilarious. I remember at the time, The Root wrote, Are these women who call the Black Lives Matter movement a mess and declare that racism is over and black people are being used as pawns to fuel the liberal agenda really out here trying to get sympathy because they just found out their seat at the whites-only table came with terms and conditions? It's a tragedy she's dead. It's a tragedy she suffered, and I, my heart goes out to her whole family. And she's dead because she believed right-wing propaganda. You know, just go ahead and Google 
the results of Trump counties with COVID deaths and Biden counties with COVID deaths. And you'll see, my God, the Republican Party hates their base. Friends, COVID is real and the vaccines work. They don't save you. They won't save everyone. But there's a reason why we're not losing 3,000 a day. There's a reason why our hospitals are not overflowing. There is no reason why COVID was made political other than the fact that Donald Trump couldn't do anything about it. And so making it political and demonizing doctors was his only chance. And I'm really sorry that she died. I, 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 and a lot of liberals are online saying a lot of mean things. But the reality is, look, they were there for a reason to create a permission system for Trump supporters to be as racist as they want. You know, like having Alan Keyes or Herman Cain on the debate stage. What? Me racist? Look at my friends. Every time any Republican's been called out for bigotry in the last five years, they would just say how much they love Diamond and Silk. And yet only Diamond and Silk were fired by Fox for lying about COVID-19. So, you know, the obituaries write themselves, the mean jokes, which I won't tell, write themselves. I wish he was still alive. I wish he hadn't believed Donald Trump. Conservatives have now lost one of the few black friends they have to pretend they're not racist. And can I just say, after Kanye West and Herman Cain, there's no worse gig than being a black Trump supporter. I mean, my God, even Stacey Dash. Rest in peace, Lynette Hardaway of Diamond and Silk. You deserved better. So does America. We're at 866-997-4748, 866-997-GRIT. Let's go to the phones. Uh, Bill in New Jersey, welcome. Hey, how you doing? Hi, how are you? Okay. Yes, too bad about Diamond. I mean, I agree. I mean, no one should have to die anyway. But she lost a chance, the enlightened side of things. But it's, re you know, the reason why you shouldn't execute prisoners, too, is because people should have the freedom to change or live with whatever they've done, you know, I agree. for the rest of their lives. Yeah, but, uh, I'm against the yeah, death penalty for guilty people, too. And, and you know, no one deserves yeah. to die from COVID-19. It's a, it's a lonely, sad, painful death. Well, Trump left a, a, a trail of blood, you know, and that's just part of it. As far as I'm concerned, he's just a war criminal yeah. in, in the worst way against America. But anyway, I was calling about the thing with Texas. Please. As Banned, or they have a temporary ban on people under 18 getting access to uh, contraception. Yeah, that'll work out great, won't parents, it? Without their parents' uh, permission. Yeah. And the whole the whole thing is about some guy who didn't trust his kids. He didn't like the idea that they would be able to have access to um, just stop themselves from getting pregnant and or God forbid, get raped, and yep. they get raped, not only do they don't have access to uh, contraception, they can't have an abortion either. Yeah. And by the way, uh, boy, these red states are fighting so hard to make sure that their poorest, poorest residents have lots more babies they can't afford. You know, they're guys, they, they, they're coming for your right to abortion, and now they're coming for your right to confidential birth control. And this judge, by the way, this, this judge calls himself a, a Christian rights activist. And uh, honestly, I mean, you you tell me, it, it seems like if you're a teenager in Texas, mm -hmm. you now have more protection from a school shooting than you do from pregnancy. Yeah. 
Well, I think anyone can become a judge, unfortunately. But uh, or it depends who the president is at the time. But uh, this thing about the debt limit, I wouldn't yes. sweat it because it's illegal. The whole concept is illegal. All Biden has to do is Treasury keep writing checks. He's in charge of the Treasury. Right. Or he can do that thing they talked about with having a minted coin that's worth a trillion dollars or whatever it's supposed to be. A yeah. trillion. Which and they can do, by the way. That would be legal. Yeah, you can mint a trillion yeah, dollar yeah, coin and just pay yourself right. off. Right. Yeah. Right. And he walks over to the Treasury and deposits it, and there's no debt anymore. And mm. uh, because the Constitution says you can't screw with the, you know, the full faith and credit of the United States. And we, you know, we're, we're lucky we're still the world reserve currency, and it makes us so much uh, have advantage, you know, with that stuff. And, I agree. Uh, but uh, but so, so I don't think that's going to be a, a problem. And for the most part, they're going to be chasing their tails. And they're, they're going to be discovering stuff that they didn't realize was so bad that they did. And, I mean, I think you're right. There's nothing they can do. And there's a, you know, Democratic Senate and a Democratic president. So they're not going to move any legislation. No, they can't. I mean, they can't move any legislation. All they can do is have committees and scream about Hunter Biden's laptop and illegal invasions and get lots of airtime on the news that our white elderly loved ones watch. Bill, I got to hit a break, but I think you nailed it. And I, 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 I'm sorry I got to go, but we have a break. When we come back, more of your calls and the return of Dr. Tracy Pearson. I'm so excited. It's her first time here in the new year. We're at 866-997-4748. We're still going to talk about Matt Gates and Brazil and McCarthy. There's so much to get to. So don't go away. We'll be right back. I'm John Fugelsang. Welcome back. We're at 866-997-4748. Boy, you know, let's really quick. Uh, there was a survey in 2016 that found in terms of Texas and contraception, because now a judge has ruled that anybody under the age of 18 has to get a parent's note to buy a condom in that state. Well, 58% of Texas school districts teach abstinence only sex education. Abstinent, which doesn't work. You know, abstinence works. Abstinence always works. Abstinence only sex education never works. 17% of Texas school districts teach an abstinence plus curriculum that has some information about contraception. So 17% abstinence plus 58% just abstinence and the remaining 25% of Texas school districts teach no sex education at all. It's going to work out great, won't it? Now, meanwhile, another powerful storm is uh, just hitting California so hard. The town of Montecito has been evacuated. My God, I hope Prince Harry's okay. He's been through so much. Um, there have been deaths. There have been uh, untold amount of uh, destruction. Tens of thousands of people in California are still without power. Some schools were closed for the day. You've seen the footage. Streets and highways are just rivers and trees have been knocked down. There's mudslides. The death toll from all these storms went from 12 to 14 today after two people were killed by falling trees. It's very, very scary. So let me go to a, a good friend of ours who just happens to be in this wet apocalypse, Tracy Pearson. 
Uh, Dr. Pearson is a legal analyst and consultant you've seen on TV and radio and podcast. She's uh, just so sharp on legal stuff, political stuff, and pop culture, so she's completely dear to my heart. You may have seen her quoted in everything from Forbes and New York Post and on shows like Cheddar News and News Nation. Welcome back, Dr. Tracy Pearson. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, too. I, you know, I do it all. I'll even do meteorology for you. How is it? Where, how is it where you are in California? It is literally pouring. Now, when I moved to Los Angeles, I moved here from the East Coast, and I used to make fun of the idea that when I would get, I would get a warning, and it would say it's going to drizzle in about three minutes on my yes. phone. Mm-hmm. Because the roads here are made out of different things, and we don't get a lot of rain, so the oil builds up, and then it becomes really slippy slidey. People don't know how to drive in the rain. But I'll tell you right now, it is just literally pouring outside that I, I'm i thinking I need to get a canoe. It's terrifying. I mean, it's I, I make jokes about it all the time in California. Oh, no, there's weather. Oh, wow, with the wind chill, it might drop down to 50. But this is atrocious. And you know what? The very fact that California doesn't see this kind of weather shows how poorly equipped they are to handle it. Yes, and, and it is either we do not have enough rain or we have too much rain. I mean, there yeah. really is no middle of the road here. This um, state has and, droughts and flooding at the same time right now. Exactly. And I live I live right in, in Los Angeles. I live over near the comedy club you perform at, in fact. Mm-hmm. Um, oh. So in the Melrose area. Mm-hmm. And um, it is it is pouring in that area. I mean, I can just it's banging on the roof of, of, of where I am right now. It's insane. Wow. Wow. Well, I'm glad you're OK. And I'm so glad you're with us tonight. I, I will wear, uh, you know, a slicker and, and rain boots if I have to. Well, thank you for that. Uh, you know, I, I want to talk about a number of things with you, doctor, while we have you. But let me let me just start off by saying, uh, did you stay up on Friday night to watch the uh, the nail biter of who the next miserable bastard speaker for the GOP is going to be? Because they they pick their miserable bastard and uh, it's going to be miserable for him. I'm curious where, where you come down on it. Oh, you know me. I watched I watched the whole stinking thing. I watched every minute of it so that I could I, I mean, it just it was great. I was like I was I was cheering on, you know, for him to lose each ballot just to see how far he'd go. Um, the right, you know, the record is one hundred and thirty three ballots. Um, and and they, you know, finally enough people, you know, negotiated with him and, and he bought them so that yeah. he could get those votes. It was really pathetic. Oh, really yeah. pathetic. It was like high school, you know, a student council. You know, they get. I expected him to start getting the cupcakes out and start handing those out right on the floor if he had to. Well, it's it's hard to imagine the 210 that went along and supported him being real fans of watching him bend over backwards to please this unruly six. I mean, this surly crew, the, this Freedom Caucus, the Nazi clot, you know, they... <laughs> That smugness goes a long way. But I mean, if you were watching the footage when we got off the air, they were they were yelling at each other. We saw that one guy get grabbed by the face, the, rep- the representative from Alabama, um, I, Matt Gates. You know, at least he has friends in prison. But uh, it's going to be a really crazy couple of years now watching the Republican establishment. We've come to have such contempt for being shaken to the bones by these, well, rank fascists that are just these petulant brats that only seem to understand this Trumpian chaos. This group is not going to be governing or legislating anything, are they? No, they aren't. And in fact, I mean, if you want legislation to pass, then then this is a bad time for us. If you want a a record so that we can uh, win at election time, 
then this is a fabulous time because they are going to pass the craziest things that aren't going to be passed in the Senate, probably not even going to be brought to the floor in the Senate. And we're going to have a very clear record for what these crazy people stand for um, and how they voted. And it's going to be fabulous. I mean, as of right now, even I'm looking and I'm watching and apparently they're they're yanking people from committees. So Swalwell, um, Omar um, and uh, uh, my own rep. Schiff, he 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 is not going to be sitting on the committee that he was on before. He's apparently being punished. Um, wow. And I'm of sure course. he'll do a fabulous job on whatever committee he lands on. And man, I I just I would really celebrate that. Whatever it is, he's going to do darn well. Meanwhile, we get to see Joe Biden showing up in front of a bridge he's fixing with his BFF, Mitch McConnell. It seems like, well, Jesus Christ, I wish Kirsten Cinema was as easy to negotiate with as old Mitch there. But the images we saw out of Kentucky on Friday were fascinating because, you know, Biden and McConnell really seem to be celebrating the same thing. Look at us, not Kevin McCarthy and the GOP House. They were both seemingly daring the viewer to compare what you saw of that bipartisan unity of fixing bridges and roads for the American people with this incredible circle jerk firing squad of these GOP numbnutses. Absolutely. And it, it was a picture of government working versus what government is going to look like when it doesn't work. And it, it'll yeah. be a very interesting picture come election time. Absolutely. Uh, I I can't wait to see what happens, but I think it's going to be a long two years of, you know, I guess it's going to be just Democrats trying to put up a good front acting like they're trying to pass legislation. I mean, neither side can pass anything. Democrats want to, but I don't see the Republicans wanting to do anything that'll help the American people. They want to have hearings about did Joe Biden pull out too fast from Afghanistan? (laughs) Yes. And and, obviously they like to eliminate IRS agents. Uh, and, uh, you know, anything else that they can get their hands on that that they that they don't like. I, I I really think that this is I know we keep saying it over and over again. We're just it's it's going to be a fascinating time period to understand how these minds work. And I say that loosely, how these yeah. minds work, because I think we know it is so frustrating. <laughs> but, but really what they stand for. I mean, you know, yeah, I, think I, we know. I I came I came out of my my studio and I watched Bobert on on TV with Stephanie Rule and I literally just my jaw fell. I went, what the what are they? What? And 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 I found it a fascinating exercise. Good for her trying to do that. Yeah, I'll say. Hey, by the way, we're talking to Dr. Tracy Pearson. We're at 866-997-4748, 866-997-GRIT. Doctor, can I, can I ask you about this this um, story that just came out of uh, Seattle that I find really fascinating? Um, it, it's, it's not political, but yet it deeply is. And I think this is one of those stories that can divide conservative and liberal households. Uh, Seattle's public school system just filed this lawsuit against several big tech companies alleging that these social media platforms have a negative effect on the mental health of children and it's hurt the ability of schools to fulfill their educational mission. It it kind of feels like, you know, echoes of the old class action lawsuits against the tobacco industry. They're saying defendants have successfully exploited the vulnerable brains of youth. Uh, The content defendants curate and direct to youth is too often harmful and exploitive. I guess the only question is, why did it take this long? I guess we should have known that this kind of lawsuit would happen sooner or later. What's your take? 
my take on it is I, it, there are about five kinds of lawsuits. There are lawsuits for money damages. So I, you pay me money because I was hurt. There are lawsuits mm -hmm. that are to stop things. There are lawsuits that are to compel things. There are lawsuits that are to declare things to be true. And then there's this kind of lawsuit, which is performative. Um, yes. The, the Philip Morris uh, tobacco lawsuits were different. They had a smoking gun memo that discussed a chemical that they knew that if you ingested it would addict you. This right. is different than social media. And what I found to be so almost offensive to me was the allegation that they've had to spend money to uh, create lesson plans and to train teachers about what? Media literacy. We've been doing media literacy in this country for 30 years. Mm -hmm. And so the idea that, that, that that's a damage for them, that's ridiculous. So what's the end game? I mean, the lawsuit says that they're they're suing they're suing or blaming TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Snapchat for declining mental health. They're blaming them for behavioral problems like anxiety, depression, uh, eating disorders, cyberbullying. I mean, is it actually trying to get new legislation, new regulations, or is this being done to try to get money out of the tech giants? It is a uh, well. That's a great question. I look at it as a lawyer. So, you know, my, my feelings right. about this lawsuit are, are, are a little bit different, um, but I look at it as, is it viable? I think that what this is tempting to do is to put eyes on something and to get people talking. At the end of the day, it'll probably end up in some sort of settlement uh, where some money will exchange hands, potentially, um, mm -hmm. but maybe some agreement to do something or, you know, maybe contribute to some programming at the school. But the idea that a court is going to order uh, Facebook and Instagram and TikTok and, and Twitter and all of these these social media companies to stop having a, a, an algorithm to stop, um, uh, you know, doing something that the reality is, is that there's a lot of personal choice in this. If you I was saying this earlier, that if you um, click on something like let's let's use chocolate bars i see sure. a chocolate bar i like it i love a chocolate bar so i click on the chocolate bar and, and then it shows me another chocolate bar and then it shows me another chocolate bar if i like that one but i can always change what i want to look at and right. so there are also other sources of things like you know what's going on at home the fact that we had a pandemic the fact that we had a chaotic government under trump the fact that you know there's all these issues around women's rights it, it, we can we can make an entire list and some night we should make an entire list of the things that were going on during that period between 2009 and 2019 and and see which one of those wouldn't be a cause of making kids feel distressed and anxiety right of course there's and, always the, the yeah I mean, these are the same problems that kids have struggled with for a, for a really long time. I, I think, you know, you could make the argument that it, it, it makes it worse, but I don't know how you'd prove that in a court of law, especially because my understanding is Mark Zuckerberg can probably afford better lawyers than the public school system of Seattle. Yes. Absolutely. I, 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 when we say better, I mean, they can certainly afford more expensive ones. Um, but I think that when at the end of the day, what they're trying to do is they're trying to get someone's attention because it's it's not being something that's in the center of the news anymore. Now, McCarthy right. is the center of the news. Right. Um, and they want something done about it. I understand that kids are distressed and and, you know, there is some legitimate stuff going on with social media and how it works. 
But I think that the place for that, obviously, is the legislature. And that takes us back around the circle, back to, to the Republicans being in control of, of you know, the House and right. them being incapable of governing. Can I ask you another legal question about something totally different, Dr. Pearson? Absolutely. Well, it deals with Georgia because we got some new news about Donald Trump tonight. The one person who could knock Kevin McCarthy off the headlines. Uh, the Georgia grand jury, the special grand jury investigating Donald Trump and his various flunkies and their attempts to uh, throw out our democracy in 2020. Well, it turns out that they have now sent the report under seal to the supervising judge. Um, we don't know if it recommends Donald Trump or anybody else for indictment. But what's the takeaway here? I mean, this, the, the grand jury doesn't indict people, but the report would then allow Fonnie Willis to decide if she wants to indict people and put together another grand jury. Is that how it works? It's 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 a it's a different process. This is a special grand jury as opposed to just like a regular grand jury. Regular right. grand jury works sort of how you're describing it, which is that you get you get chosen. Uh, if, you, if, if you're unlucky, you get chosen to sit on the grand jury. You sit through a bunch of evidence and then you get to vote for something called a true bill. If a true bill passes, then you're indicted. If a true bill doesn't pass and they return don't t- return a true bill, then you're not indicted. In a special uh, a special grand jury, what they do is hear evidence, just like a regular grand jury, and then they write a report that makes a recommendation. And that recommendation, they have asked, this Georgia grand jury has asked it to be public, which I think is really an important fact. There's right. going to be a hearing uh, coming up very soon. On the next 24th. Week, this week. Yep. The 24th. That that is uh, going to be to determine whether that's sealed or not, or whether portions of it are revealed. Um, and then what happens is the district attorney gets to decide whether they want to bring the charges. So it's advisory. Um, okay. And so in theory, the grand jury could say bring charges and the district attorney could say no. But that seems to be kind of a silly thing that they would do. Right. Well, I mean, it, I'm kind of confused because like why? Why would Georgia use a special grand jury with no indictment power rather than a regular one that could just vote to indict? Oh, gosh, I think there's probably some political reasons about that. I I Mm. do not. um, I think, you know, maybe because it has to do with I'm making some guesses. You know, this has to do with election. It has to do with an election. It has to do with, uh, you know, conduct around an election. And and it has to do with. you know, complicated issues. It may have something to do with the fact that it's it's also um, the timing of it. I mean, there's there's a bunch of different reasons why I could think of. I'm not a Georgia lawyer. I definitely can find out the answer for us. But it, it is something that I thought was very strange. Like you would bother people to sit on a grand jury to write a book report, basically, and make a recommendation on whether they liked it or not. I, I mean, does it seem like they're giving themselves an out? Like, you know, if they really decide they don't want to indict this guy, even though the evidence is overwhelming, does it seem like nothing against Fonnie Willis? I mean, I mean, she could still do it. But does it seem like it gives them some wiggle room if the state decides to just drop this? I wonder if it's the other way around, which is that you get this grand jury to make a recommendation and they say, do it. And so then that recommendation will go to the the, the district attorney and then they'll say, Okay, we're indicting as opposed to them deciding that they're going to bring charges. um, Mm. I think that provides either way. It could provide some cover in the other direction. Um, And I think that to me, there's a the key fact of they want it public. Why would you want that public that report if you were the grand jury? And and, you know, my mind implicitly goes to they want to make sure we all know that that they wanted to indict. And so that nobody can skip 
That's it. Yeah. I mean, if this if this were to somehow go through, Fonnie Willis, the, the attorney general, would be the first to file charges against Donald Trump. Uh, I mean, because Tish James's was against the Trump organization. So, I mean, that that could then be followed by potentially federal charges brought by special prosecutor Jack Smith, which uh, just seems to me 2023 is going to be a very interesting year for the Republican Party. Look, if Georgia indicts, we're going to have a special episode and there's going to be like silly string and there's going to be, you know, all sorts of confetti and and we're going to be drinking. I mean, it's going to be a great thing because it is it is accountability that we haven't seen. And it's somebody fighting for the United States that we haven't actually seen. Right, right. Well, we'll see. I mean, I guess we'll see how it plays out. It just seems like it's going to be completely insane. This, but but I mean, what am I talking about? It's been insane since Newt Gingrich. So yeah, just more of the same. I I do want to ask you about one last cultural thing, and I, I thank you. It's so fun talking to you because we can talk about pop culture stuff and then go into the political weeds. But um, you know, it, it almost seems like football uh is dangerous and unhealthy for the men who play it. I don't know. It's kind of crazy. But um, and look, I know America's got a long history of enjoying watching black men have their bodies abused for the entertainment of the masses. But um, I, 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 and I'm glad that this player is, is on the mend, but it just sort of seems like we should get used to this. I, I don't really even understand why an injury on the field is making headline news because that's what the game's designed to do. I was so disturbed about all of it. I was disturbed. Well, first of all, it was terrible for it to have happened. And, and, horrible but also the inaccuracy around the reporting i was going crazy watching the coverage first of all it preempted everything it was on all night it was the only thing they talked about there was no information available nor should there have been because it was protected information but they were were the the reporters were doing a couple different things they were romanticizing football as if these people were Mm -hmm. warriors as no what they do is they made a choice to enter into a contract get paid a lot of money to do this the second Always. thing is is that they that that there was you know that that there is a it has happened before we have seen these sorts of injuries before on the field in practice they've died people have died in practice right. they've died on the field and you know god forbid something had had happened you know that was permanent for this gentleman i mean i just think that that we need to to smarten up and stop this i understand it's it's a game that people love i've loved it at times but it is hurting people and either the nfl has to get their head out of wherever it is and to do something that makes it different so that doesn't happen but we got to stop romanticizing this and also pushing for folks to to be doing it as a as a way out of something because yeah. as you pointed out you know it's there how I haven't done a study but it, there's a lot of black men that are that are the ones that are at risk here yeah yeah and i mean there's other ways to lift yourself out of poverty there's 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 boxing and drugs right like <laughs> these are the options we give and you can either like be be trapped or if you have great athletic ability you can take a lot of blows to the head for a couple of decades and we'll see how that shakes out but i mean the stuff we accept as normal in this culture is just insane it is insane it is insane and i was even talking about rugby I was talking about rugby with my husband as it was happening. And I said, you know, we don't hear about that over there. I, I just the, the way that we have romanticized this and we have made this part of our culture and it is it is part of our identity. 
it's disturbing. And I was saying this is like the the Coliseum. I mean, it's yeah. no different than the Coliseum. And and somebody almost died as a result of this, or or his heart stopped at least twice. Yeah. Yep. And and I just oh, horrible. Mm. Well, doctor, before I before I take off, I I save the most important story. Uh, in terms of geopolitics and, and, and the world for the end, uh, do you have an opinion on Prince Harry and Meghan Markle? I, I got to tell you, after after watching the, the eight-hour Netflix special, I'm really glad he's coming out of the shadows and telling his story. Um, but I, I must say, I did see the Anderson Cooper interview, and I thought it was much, much better for him. And he came off much better than, than any Netflix special ever could have. Uh, he, he's somewhat sympathetic for a person who never has to work for money. I mean, are Americans going to finally take the bait and start caring about the royal family because of this? I, I don't know that they're going to care about the royal family. I think I think that it'll be a really interesting read. I'm waiting for that book. I got notice it shipped, so I'm looking forward to reading Spare. Um, okay. But I, it is just such a weird concept that we broke away from. Obviously, we fought a war to get away from it. Um, and I I think there is a fascination and, a, and a, rightly so for for um, for Prince Harry and, and, and Meghan Markle. Sure. What I don't like is what's going on, how, how Meghan Markle gets completely just trounced on by by the folks in the United Kingdom or the well, I'll say the press in the United yeah. Kingdom. I hate that. And. And, yeah. you know, first they love they sure have proven their don't. point, haven't they? They've sure proven their point. I'm sorry. But like, even if you don't care about the royal family, the amount of vitriol that I've seen from the British press towards her dwarfs what we've seen towards a certain prince in the family named Andrew, who you'd think would arouse more outrage. But Andrew's white. So his his stuff's not going to be as grievous. I mean, it's exactly just, they're proving everything <laughs> Prince Harry is saying. Exactly. And. And and they're so unabashed about it. So unabashed about it. Well, they've got an empire to run. Dr. Tracy Pearson, <laughs> it is such a pleasure. Thank you for joining us. Um, I really, really thank you. It's great to have you here with us in the new year. What is the best way for our evil army of the night and daywalkers and assorted riffraff to follow you and keep up with all your work? Oh, gosh, I am everywhere. Basically, if you go into any social media app and look at Tracy Explains, T-R-A-C-Y Explains. I also have a website, uh, TracyExplains.com. I have a Substack, and that's Dr. Underscore Tracy. Um, and uh, you obviously can hear me here and probably everywhere. I was on Cheddar today. So right you know, keep an eye out for me. Thank you, Dr. Tracy. It's great to see you. Happy New Year. Please stay dry. We need you. Take care. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. This is Sirius XM. I'm John Fugel saying peace.